0: Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Yeah. Inexhaustible episodes. God's fast. Glorify him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises. Simply put, guys with Bibles. Yeah. Just some regular reborn, reformed cats If it's in the Bible, then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word Okay. Competing ideas, quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night Immersed in sin, but then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ That shines light, the word in Genesis That assigned life and hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power, power of the, the gospel. gospel Yeah, yeah, yeah Doctrine.
1: Glorifying God. With your hosts, Sean, Scott and Lee. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Guys with Bibles. I'm Lee. I'm Scott. And I'm Sean. And last apparently. <laughs> Take your turn to be last.
0: You can't first or last.
1: We have that's <laughs> true. We have returned, once again, to the subject of the Reformers. Moving forward in history now, and we're talking about the great and powerful Jonathan Edwards.
0: America! Mm. Yes! America.
1: Yeah. Finally, instead of having to to suffer through a bunch of French words like we did in the Calvin episode, there will be 100% American (laughs) words. We speak American.
0: So, um, we're going to be talking about beef jerky and... Yes. Ripper boat gambling trips.
2: That's what I'm talking about.
0: (laughs) So anyway, so Jonathan Edwards. What do I know about Jonathan Edwards? He was... um,
1: He did a lot more than just preach that one sermon everybody knows.
0: Right. Sinners in the hands of an angry god. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Spiders on threads. Um,
0: He was a New England Puritan who died of smallpox.
1: He was an actual um, Puritan. On... Well, kind of He yes. was kind of post-Puritan, really Right um, he, was, he died on March 22nd,
0: 1758 At the age of 54 Was among the noblest and ablest Christians of his age And can now be seen two centuries after As one of the greatest theologians ever given by God to, the, to his church This is from his body And God put and him book. in America Right
1: Because
2: <laughs> um, we're the new Israel
1: What? (laughs) (laughs) W-A-T
0: I'm just kidding Go on I don't know if I don't know if you guys You guys probably knew this But um, he was a part of the Enlightenment Oh Um, yeah um, The Great Awakening Oh yeah Yeah First Great Awakening Of the the revivals Here in America The uh, real one Which was between 1733 and 1735 um, he oversaw some of the revivals
1: in Northampton,
0: Massachusetts.
1: Northampton. Um, you know what was interesting, though, was he was not only one of the biggest names and biggest catalysts of the <laughs> of the Great uh, Awakening, but he was also one of the most vocal critics, also of potential excesses and abuses too. So it's kind of interesting that he would be not only one of the standout figures in the Great Awakening, but also be the one kind of calling out negative or unbiblical aspects that may have crept in. It's kind of fascinating. He was an intellectually honest dude.
2: He was super smart too. Super Did smart.
1: you know he 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 entered
2: Yale College at Did just really? under at just
1: <laughs> under the age of thirteen. Scott's just amazed he went to college. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of shocked.
2: He went to Yale at the age of 12.
1: I was barely potty trained, hmm. but at the age of 12.
2: Yeah, I was still eating paste. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: he was re- he was rooted theological. Um, his theological scope was Reformed theology, the metaphysics of theo- theological determinism, and the Puritan heritage. Um what else was he grounded in? Well, he grew um, up in a really
1: good home as well, and I think that helped him a lot because his mom was a a very deep um, believer, and his dad was also very uh, very smart and well-educated. So he got the encouragement not only in the faith as a young boy, but also the encouragement to learn and to study and study and study. Not only secular subjects like science or things like that, but also study the Word of God. Now
2: watch it. You said you said science. Science. Science.
1: science.
0: science. He obedience. was actually science.
1: Science. Science. <laughs>
0: obedience. I cannot <laughs> no. say obedience for the life of me anymore. <laughs> like all, every time I I read obedience in like scripture, I'm like obedience, and I'm like son <laughs> of a gun. Curse
1: you, Lee! Curse you!
2: But you—you you mentioned science, and yes, and Sean, was... you
1: blinded me with science.
2: Yeah. <laughs> now that song's stuck in my head. Thanks.
1: Science, science. But he was—he was—he
2: was. He was... <laughs> he was uh, Edward... I can't even talk now, Edwards. Uh, he was really fascinated with uh, the discoveries that Isaac Newton had made. And other scientists, he he. Uh, Newton, a fellow believer, was quite interested, in, yeah, he was. A, Isaac Newton was a pretty devout Christian, and uh, he he was interested a lot in natural science, natural history, along with uh, theology. So he was a he he had a lot of uh, he was a well-rounded dude.
1: Did you know, I I found this actually on a thing on Ligonier's website, so you mentioned that he was in college at 13, he wrote an essay about the the habits of the balloon spider that was still well-regarded scientific material, even as they really began studying it hundreds of years later. So he was like, just like very apt um, young man. It's pretty impressive.
0: Right. Do you know he is the the only son out of uh, eleven children? Wow. Yeah. Well, that's
2: a lot of estrogen in one house. Yeah, that's, Jonathan that's Edwards,
0: their only son, was the fifth of eleven children. Oh my
1: goodness.
0: Yeah. Do you, he was in a house full of women, like <laughs> the whole time. Poor boy. This dude.
2: No wonder his his sermons were kinda angry. He had to let that out somehow.
1: <laughs> right, right. Now, do do we want to go into some of his writings at this point?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, um, since you're speaking on Yale, uh, since you guys were talking about his college years, um, in the following year, he became acquainted with John Locke's essay concerning human understanding, which influenced him, um, during his college studies, the mind. Mm-hmm. It was his, something that he kept in his notebooks labeled the mind, natural science containing, um, Discussion of atomic theory, um, the scriptures and miscellaneous um, things that he put together were a natural and mental philosophy he drew himself for its own, his own composition. Um, he was just a, he was becoming a natural philosopher at his his age uh, early early in his years.
1: I found an interesting piece of a... um, I think this comes from a biography of Jonathan Edwards about his conversion. I found it kind of interesting. You mind if I read it to you guys? Yeah, go ahead. This is from C.S. Robinson. He says, Jonathan Edwards was suddenly converted almost by a flash of light in the moment of reading a single verse of the New Testament into contact with which he was brought by a series of unusual circumstances. He was at home in his father's house. Some ordinary hindrance kept him from going to church one Sunday with the family. So I'm presuming this is kind of in childhood. A couple of hours in prospect, with nothing to do, sent him listlessly into the library. The sight of a dull volume with no title on the leather back uh, of the uh, on the back of it piqued curiosity as to what it could be. He opened it at random and found it to be a Bible. Then his eye caught this verse: "Now unto the King eternal." Immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He tells us in his journal that the immediate effect of it was awakening and alarming to his soul, for it brought him a most novel and most extensive thought of the vastness and majesty of the true sovereign of the universe. Out of this grew the astonishing pain of guilt for having resisted such a monarch so long, and for having served him so poorly, and whereas he had hitherto had slight notions of his own wickedness and very little poignancy of acute remorse. Now he felt the deepest contrition. Here's a precise reproduction of Isaiah's experience. I thought that was uh, a very well-done, concise way of describing uh, a weird conversion. That's incredible that he was
2: converted by that verse. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, that's just like one of those... So, you know, but... The word works on everybody in a different mm-hmm.
1: way. And maybe his, his heart was prepared. Uh, I, I liked at the end of this thing where it says, here's a precise reproduction of Isaiah's experience. Because he is right. That is a lot like Isaiah 6 where Isaiah's struck in the face with the glory of God as he's standing there in the throne room, seeing God's uh, robe filling the temple and uh, the angels uh, singing the Trisagion and he's overwhelmed by burning his own his lips dirtiness. With hot coals. Yeah. The hot coals on the lips. And, you know, I think that, that vision of God as huge and glorious and holy is what drove him into the depths of study and writing and ministry and missions that he, that he engaged in, in his, you know, short life in comparison to how long we live now. Um, I think that, yeah. that is kind of what pushed him forward.
0: Um, he- He also became a successful uh, missionary to the Red Indians. Um, He wrote...
2: Watch your tone. I'm just kidding.
0: He uh, wrote four great works, philosophical and polemical theology, the freedom of the will, the doctrine of original sin, um, the nature of true virtue, and the end for which God created the world. Um, This volume the volume that I have. So we ha- I have his works, um, Volume 1 and 2, and they all contain these. But um, I did not know that he was a great influence to the Red Indians. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, he, he, he had is- encountered some uh, controversy at his church that he was pastoring, and they actually let him go. And while he was not their pastor, he went and moved just a little bit out of town, basically, to where the Indians were still living. And uh, began working as a missionary with them.
2: No, I didn't. I seriously though, I did. I did not know that about him. That he I, uh, I
1: didn't
2: worked with the Native Americans like that. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's um he's a, a, a an immense figure in uh, missions. Uh,
2: and he didn't he didn't like like hold a gun to their head and
1: force them to convert. No, no.
0: I don't think I don't think Jonathan Edwards would be a guy that you know holds a gun. And else. you know
1: that's that's the. Uh, that's one of the kind of misnomers against a lot of the missionaries to the indians at the time because everybody says oh you know they they might have been trying to 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 tell people about jesus but they yeah. they made them adopt oh. white culture and they and they made them wear uh, english clothing and made them forget everything about being an indian they had to become white in order right. to become christian but well, that's not the case it's in in Edwards knew that
2: frankly, that's like being a becoming a Judaizer again
1: um since we're on the subject of missions before we move off to anywhere else, one of the influential books that Edwards wrote was a, <clears throat> was the biography of David Brainerd, another missionary, and uh there were many many people after Edwards who were uh who felt the call to the ministry or f- felt called to the mission field um after after reading his book, uh, his biography of Brainerd.
2: That's interesting. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that either. You, I'm learning lots <laughs> of guys.
0: Oh, yeah. Have you, like, heard the start of the the Sermon of the Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? I,
1: oh, yeah. I read it a long time ago. Yeah, yeah it's
0: well, been it a starts while. Out, but... He starts out using Deuteronomy thirty-two thirty-five. 35 um, Their foot shall slip in due time. Um, and it starts out pretty pretty strongly. Um, The wicked and unbelieving Israelites are threatened with God's vengeance in this verse. These Israelites were God's visible people who lived outwardly under God's protection and grace. And yet, in spite of all the things God had done for them, as in verse 28, they had no real change of heart and did not really understand the grace of God. Despite God's continued blessing, They lived sinful lives, as shown in these two verses preceding our text. The expression I have chosen for my my text, their foot shall slip in due time, reveals the eternal punishment the wicked Israelites were in danger of receiving in the following four ways. They were always in danger of the destruction, just like one that tries to stand up and walk in a slippery place in the danger of falling. This is because the actual punishment is likened to a foot slipping. This same sentiment is expressed in Psalm seventy-three, eighteen. Surely, you set them, slip, slip, set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. The text implies that they are, they were always in danger of a sudden, unexpected destruction. The one who walks in a slip, slip, slippery place is liable to fall at any time and if he falls when there is no warning he just falls this is no expressed. this is also expressed in psalm 73:19 oh how they are brought to desolation as in this moment they are utterly consumed with terrors another thing implied in the text is that the way of liable to fall of themselves without being pushed by someone else you do not need to be pushed to fall on the ice Your own weight will bring you down. The only reason they have not fallen already and are not falling now is that God's appointed time has not yet come. The verse says that when that that due or appointed time comes, their foot shall slip. When God's time comes, they will fall. God will not hold them up on a slippery place anymore. He will let them go. When God lets them go, they will instantly fall into destruction, just like a man on a slippery slope on the edge of a pit. He cannot hold on by himself. The second he falls, he will fall into the pit and be lost forever. And, and so he that's his start. That's his like basic introduction. Um, and then he, he dives right into doctrine um, right shortly after. Um, you know, I don't— There is nothing that— yeah,
1: keep, go ahead. Uh, I don't know uh, exactly uh, what pages you have uh, in your in your book. There, I think your I think your version is kind of a, uh, a paraphrase of the original sermon. Um, I have the uh, I have like a fax copy of the original sermon here and the the preface page to the sermon as it was you know bound because often preachers would take individual sermons and have them bound and they would be. Sent out as like pamphlets that people could take and read. And the kind of the, the cover page of it is Mr. Edwards' sermon on the danger of the unconverted. And I think I, I wish people who read this sermon now, like if it's still read in high school, I know I read it in high school, but uh, if you could have that, that adds so much context to the sermon that while it sounds like he's being condemning and dark and depressing and, uh, and almost glorying in people going to damnation he's actually greatly concerned for the unconverted who are in danger of slipping and and falling into uh into eternal punishment like he says there he's saying that out of a out of a heart of concern for the lost not not to glory in the fact that people are lost but and as if people knew more about Edwards they would see he was greatly concerned about people living without people Christ salvation yeah right and he wanted people to see Christ and sometimes it you know, and we talk about this, about the right division of law and gospel, sometimes you have to really throw the law at people for them to see just how sinful and dirty and unworthy of grace that they are before you can tell them about grace. And I think right. that's exactly what the sermon d- did so well, is that it, it really does paint that picture of you are in grave danger if you continue in your, as R.C. Sproul said, cosmic treason against a holy God.
0: Right, right. Yeah, what's nice? What's nice about his sermons, um, he he ends his sermons as take this opportunity to be born again, um, and his ending it wraps up wraps up really well. Um, I don't know if you guys have this book, but it's um, "Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God." John I have Edward, it in ebook it's format,
1: re- which I know you guys will make fun of me for. I um, um,
0: um, love it's a uh, revised and updated by Mark. Trigstead? yeah, I don't really. I need to get a
2: copy of that. I don't have it.
0: It's really good, but anyways, at at the end, he he talks about being born again as he wraps up the judgment and uh, what it means to be away from God. Um, And you young men and women will also neglect this precious time as so many others your age are renouncing all youthful lust and coming to Christ. You have special and extraordinary opportunity. However, if you neglect it, you will soon end up like those who wasted their precious days of youth in the sin and are now in dreadful state of blindness and hardness of the heart. Likewise, you children here who are unconverted, do you not realize that you are going to hell to bear the dreadful anger of this God who is angry with you every day and every night? Will you be content to be children of the devil when so many other children are converted and are holy and happy children of the King of Kings. Again, let everyone everyone, men and women of all ages, young people and children who are still outside of Christ and hanging over the pit of hell, now listen to the loud calls of God's word and his providence. This is the acceptable day of the Lord. A day a day of such great joy to some will doubtless be a day of vengeance to others. A man's heart will harden, and his guilt will increase on a day like this if he neglects his soul. Never has there been such a greater danger of people being given over to the hardness of heart and blindness of the mind. God seems to be gathering in his elect in all parts of the land. Most likely, most of the adults that will ever be saved will be saved very soon. It will be as It was during the great outpouring of the Spirit on the Jews in the days of the apostles. The elect will come and the rest will be blinded. How is it with you? Will will you eternally curse this day? And will you curse the day you were born? Will you see the season of the pouring out of God's Spirit and wish that you had died and gone to hell before you had seen it? And then he wraps it up. Um, It is sure... It is assuredly, now as it was in the days of John the Baptist, the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and every tree which brings not forth good fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. Now I cry to everyone who is outside Christ, awake and flee from the wrath to come. The anger of the Almighty God is undoubtedly hanging over many in this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives— Look not behind you; escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed.
1: See, there's that that uh, that heart for uh, people to be converted, right there. Um, right, and I mean that
0: he comes in heavy and loaded.
1: You know, I, I one one thing I enjoyed while we were uh, reading there was he was talking about the the day of the Lord, and you know, there's there's two visions of the day of the Lord in Scripture. So Jesus talks about the year of the Lord's favor, which, uh, corresponds to like the year of Jubilee, um, where God will bless his children. Um, but then also the day of the Lord is a day of vengeance for people who hate God. And, yeah. and so the day of the Lord, it kind of has, it's two, two sides of the same coin, depending on if you're redeemed or not. Two sides of the same sword. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, and, I, you know, it's good that he divided that out because you see the glory that awaits uh, the children of God on the day of the Lord, but then you also see the the terrible danger and punishment that awaits the, uh, the sinful. Right.
0: And I like how he points out, you know, not everyone's going to come to faith. A lot of them are going to stare down into the deep pits of hell and yearn for it. You know, they're going to be... Yep. I was going to say
2: they're basically just going to Jump in.
0: And they're going to be like, well, who is this God that I have to serve? You know? And they're going to find out later. And unfortunately, those people who say that God loves everybody, that that's true in a sense. God does love everybody. But he's not here to save everybody. You know? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a hard truth to swallow.
2: That's honestly, I mean that That right there, uh I'm reformed uh, and that was one of the hardest parts of me in the process of studying and becoming reformed was was that that truth, and I had to accept it it's it's scriptural um, and that was one of the most difficult things for me to come to grips with
0: exactly I mean. Coming to grips with that kind of theology, um, especially as being a parent, um, it's yeah. it's, very, it's very difficult yeah. because you look at your children and, of course, you, you want them to be saved and you want God to find um, – you want them to find favor in the eyes of God, you know. Um, but you're not in control of their salvation just like you're not in control of your own. Um, exactly. You, salvation is up to the end of it. It's not up to the individual it's up to the to the creator of that individual you know what I mean
2: all we can do is you know preach the gospel to our kids and pray and
0: pray it takes root and unfortunately we're gonna have many children that are not going to be converted you know um, yeah. it'll fall the word will fall on deaf ears and, uh, unfortunately, and it's the same with
2: I I struggled a lot because I you know there's a lot of family members in my family that aren't believers, and I love them to death, and no matter what I say to them, it just it's like throwing it's like throwing jello and seeing if it'll stick to the wall kind of thing, and <laughs> and, and it <laughs> and it's uh you know it's I I do what I can you know you you preach the gospel and you you pray about it and that's about. All you can do, um, right? It's it's not up to us. It's it's up Absolutely. to God.
0: Absolutely. And, what, and what's what's interesting is, as as John Jonathan Edwards he was wrapping up that sermon, he was saying, many of you in this congregation, many of you who profess to be Christian, who profess to be followers of Christ, you're indeed just like those hanging over the the pits of hell. Yeah. Sure you you're not you're fooling yourself. Um I know a lot of people who who profess to be Christians, um who take on the the phrase or the the word Christian and apply it to their life, but they have no fruit.
1: Well, and and Jonathan Edwards was very much in the era where there were scores of unconverted pastors because if you you went to university right. and you studied and if you weren't going to become a professor or some sort of intellectual you became a pastor regardless of whether you were right. a christian or yeah, not Yeah weren't
2: there weren't there a lot of weren't there a lot of pastors that weren't
1: even baptized Absolutely How do you think we got unitarianism yeah, that's... <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but and during one of the things during the Great Awakening was that there were all of these pastors from across New England that were coming to these um, these preaching revivals, I guess you would you would call them, uh, in the good sense, not the kind of uh, gimmicky sense that we know Sweaty them now. Tent gatherings, yeah. Um, who who were <laughs> finally becoming believers because they had never heard the gospel they were preaching right. in in the church and they themselves had never even heard the gospel so i mean this was a reformation of not just not just lay people but even the even ministers were being uh converted and uh that's
2: right. literally the blind leading the a- blind right absolutely
1: there. it really it really is and i'm yeah. and that's that's still trouble today too but there's just so many ways you can kind of cover up for it because we have these kind of uh
0: cotton candy gospel. Yeah,
1: encoded language that if you use this type of language, you're a believer, you know. You're part of the church. You grew up in the church. You can speak the way that the church speaks now, and that gives you a sense of right. credibility even though you you may not even be able to articulate the gospel to another believer.
2: So, yeah, but by God, if you can say I got a download from the Lord this yeah. morning, you know.
1: And you can say, "Hey man, the right way." Hey man, <laughs> That's and that, and that's what's that's what's scary. Anyway, so that was that was about unconverted pastors at the time and the the heart for people to be converted. And and, and so I want to bring this in also because I think, especially for people who were becoming reformed at this, because I think Scott, you and I were basically looking into uh, Reformed theology around the same time, even though we didn't know each other at that time. Um, but right, one of the right. big influences on me when I was first getting interested in in uh, Calvinist theology was John Piper. And pretty much, if, if John Piper wasn't talking— Joy, joy, joy! <laughs> if he wasn't talking about joy, he was talking about Edwards. And he credited Edwards with his interest in seeing joy as one of the founda- foundational principles of the Christian life. Where if you're finding— God must be the, the complete seat of your joy, and your desire would be to, to follow Him, um, and and therefore you are fulfilled and given the joy of the Lord, um, which is basic, practically the basis of his book, Desiring God, and his his ministry. Uh, and he, he says that he gets that from Edwards, and I, I can see it. I haven't read as much of Edwards as, of course, Piper has, but he definitely is very focused on the joy of the Lord.
0: Right. Yeah, sometimes I feel Piper gets a little too joyous. <laughs> I'm like,
1: I mean, look, come look at those Piper. hand gestures. But anyway.
0: yeah, I, I really enjoy when I was falling into reform theology. Falling into um, it. <laughs> falling, yeah, just just literally falling into reform theology. Um, not on my own own will that I I wanted to be reformed or whatnot, but. Um, It was more of, I was in a a Westland Armenian church um, where free will was preached, um, that you choose God, that you, it's all up to what you did, you know, what did you do for God? And it became more of a self-centered type of worship, you know what I Uh mean, Um, where I started to look at scripture as, well, this isn't, it's not what I did for God. You know, it's not, this isn't about what I did or if I even participated, which come to find out later, you know, I had nothing to do with it. Um, But it became so man-centered that it was all about me, you know, what did I do? Did I choose God? I made the steps. I came to church. I professed the, the prayer. I raised my hand when the pastor was, you yeah, know. I
1: did it. I did it. Stupid, I did it.
0: stupid stuff. You know, it's, I, it's just I so... decided to get baptized. You know, too much, too much in the church is left up to decision, which it's okay. We all make choices daily, but um, it's not you that's doing the saving work. You know, that, that's what people right. need to realize. It's not you that is securing your salvation.
1: And Edwards, right. Edwards would oppose it's, it's, that kind of thinking, not because he was looking down his nose at people for having bad theology, but the fact that everything that he wrote and preached and did was all about the God-centeredness of Christianity. Right.
0: And that's, yeah. that's where Reformed theology is, is trying to get back to. And I think people are misguided by terms and terminology, um, names and, you know, titles. Um, they they, they have little understanding of what Calvinism is or reformed theology is and, and, perspective, um, or the premise of the idea. Um, they get this idea of, well, it's only for the frozen chosen. Well, that's not correct. Um, It's for the elect. That's who it's for. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is specific on the elect, the chosen people of God, the people God chose, the people God came to save, the people that he came to shepherd, the people he made the church's body, you know, who he planned to marry. That is who God came for and came to save. And unfortunately, we have gotten away from all of that and we have made it we have came and did this for God and we have, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's so twisted nowadays. And, um, it's all about self achievement, self satisfaction,
1: um, self fulfillment, yeah, self care, you know,
0: <laughs> exactly. Prosperity, how you can do better or, and, and it's a lot of, a lot of people fail at this because a lot of it is weighed down on them on, you need to be doing this, you know, this is what you can be doing to be a better person. Well, you know, that's great, all fine and dandy when you, you go to moral, moralism, but unfortunately, you can't be a better person, you know. You're not going to be a better person unless Christ has created you to be the better person mm-hmm. that he made
1: you to be. You know. Well, and the point isn't to be so, a better person according to the worldly standards. Right, and
0: that's right, and that's not the point. In of fact, being a being in the
1: in the sight of, of other people around us, being a Christian makes you a worse person. So yeah. it really does. So you can't you can't go it, by worldly the, examples of what a good person is to measure your faith. Exactly. Yeah, and see exactly. a lot of people
2: were like a lot of people think a Christian has to be this this goody two shoes. Right, which, this you know,
1: morally upright
0: person.
2: And, and it's uh, it's it's not about being perfectly sinless because that's impossible unless you're six feet under. <laughs> um, b- uh, you know. But uh, it's it's about turning from your sin and hating your sin. You're still going to sin, but it's it's how you react to it. Do you love it or do you hate it?
0: Right, right. And, and
2: are you repenting? And, Amen. And yeah. And are are you are you repenting of that sin or are you? Just enjoying it and doing it more and more, and never turning from it, and becoming a slave to it, or are you turning from it and repenting every single day because you're going to you're going to be sinning every single day? And it's it's not about being sinless. I can't stand it when people talk about Christianity like that and how you have to be this perfect person. Right. You're perfect because you're in Christ, not because you're sinless.
1: Yeah the the only way for you to be perfect is cuz you're riding Jesus' coattails.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You are you were the lady that's bleeding profusely and all you do is touch his garment.
2: We talked about females bleeding in the, on the Easter.
0: That's oh. true. Well, I thought you guys were talking about painting Easter egg and <laughs> chocolate
1: bunnies.
0: Now you guys we are talking want... about female
1: Look the, the oh, Bible man. covers so What's many mess? issues and <laughs> topics, okay? Do we have do we have any final thoughts on Edwards Sean? do you have anything? I have
2: a cup I have a couple interesting Tell facts us. about it's not it's just about uh, his family, his descendants is kind of interesting uh, yeah, George Marsden hey, I don't really care if you care how's that I heard that <laughs> George Marsden uh, uh, wrote about the Edwards family. Uh, producing scores of clergymen, actually thirteen presidents of higher learning, um, so like presidents, deans of colleges, um, sixty-five professors, and uh, many other people of notable achievements, and that's that's quite disproportionate to you know everybody else, especially in the area that he was from. So it's just kind of interesting. That it was a quite a successful family.
1: God blessed them.
2: In general, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, that's pretty incredible.
2: But, but that that's all I have. Do you guys have anything else,
1: Scott? Any final thoughts on Edwards?
0: Um, no. Right.
1: Well, Scott, where can they find us?
0: Well, you can definitely find us on Facebook um, at Guys with Bibles. Um, if you guys want to, uh. Click the add or subscribe button. Um, we'll definitely add you to the membership there. Um, we're definitely going to be on We're on Instagram at guyswithbibles. And you can find us on Twitter. Um, we don't have a Snapchat yet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you can definitely contact us at our email. It's guyswbibles at gmail.com. Or come to our website and check out the podcasts. Um, you can stream them from the website there. and uh, So go to our website. Check it out. It's www.guyswithbibles.com. Um, you can check out the latest blogs. Um, Lee and Sean, they really, really lay down some blogs every week. Blogs. And you guys can, uh, yeah, you can check them yeah, out. Yeah, boy. Um, it's probably going to be the next Ligonier Ministries. Yeah. Um <laughs> Um, I'm hoping they're going to ask me to
2: write for table
1: talk soon.
0: How cool would that be? I would actually, dude, Uh, I would. Oh, you'd actually write
1: something uh, if it ended up in table talk.
0: Oh, definitely. I would definitely be like, yeah, I'm writing something. (laughs) I got you. So, yeah, but yeah, check those out. They're great. Um, Definitely great devotionals throughout your week. If you're interested in those. Um, Also, you can stream us on iTunes, Overcast, Google play, or the podcast, Um, player of your choice, and um, that's it. We're guys with Bibles, and we're out. Hey,
1: wait, I thought that was my job. We're doing this show! DON'T WALK AWAY WHEN I'M TALKING TO YOU! (laughs) HAVE A LITTLE RESPECT!
2: (laughs) I'M SICK OF THIS! I QUIT!